And can everyone please stand for the reading of God's word? Just a reminder, we stand out of reverence and awe for God and for his word. Today we're reading from Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 7. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to you for me. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Tina. Good morning. It's uh, great to see you all. That was a little bit of a test. You passed. Good job saying good morning back. Um, Tina pointed out like one person said uh, hello or good morning or whatever it was, the greeting back. And also, I think someone called out that I was the only one clapping at first there. Um, when the person with the least amount of rhythm or musical acumen in the room is um, le- leading out in those ways, that's a problem. So we can all, we can all stretch, our, uh, stretch our, ourselves in that way together. Um, part of my job as a lead pastor here is to kind of stretch us but not break us in some of these areas. So, um, you know, picture like a, like, a, like a sports like trainer or something, right? Like don't break the hamstrings or whatever, don't tear them, but, you know, stretch them. So that's what I get to do um, on that. And yet um, I noticed also that Andrew Tang, who did the welcome if you weren't in here, apparently had a ton of iced coffee this morning because uh, he, was, he was going a mile a minute. Um, he said something I want to clarify. He said, uh, stop by the, it sounded like he said, neuter redemption desk. <laughs> it's not that. Three, new to redemption. Okay, three words, not two. So, um, I have an appreciation for that. Uh, just by way of introduction to, um, I have a speech impediment uh, there, a little example for you. So um, that'll kind of come in and, out, in and out as we go as I preach. But it's also kind of a blessing because I can't talk as fast as some people and you don't have those kind of confusing um, moments like that. Okay, not neuter redemption. But um, anyway, uh, it's great to be here together. Um, we're gonna get into Ephesians chapter three together. Um, we have been marching through Ephesians for about uh, four months now, and um, so you can say welcome to chapter three if you want to turn to your neighbor, interactive time. Um, yeah, we, because there, there are only six chapters in Ephesians, and we've, uh, we're marching through it slowly, right? We want to kind of really soak in God's word together. Um, with that. Before we get into it, okay, um, actually, let me go ahead and uh, have you turn there in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, we want to get one into your hands. So would you hold your hand up high and keep it up if you need a Bible uh, to get to? En español, si quieres la Biblia y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Ephesians capítulo 3. So again, want to make sure everyone has a Bible, a copy of God's Word to keep, to make your own. If you don't own one, please keep this, okay, as a gift to you. So while we're getting there, I want to um, quickly um, just give kind of a mass call out to all of us, okay? Um, we're coming up on the time where a lot of our college students will be transitioning and um, you know, gr- graduating and going on to different things. And um, with that, one of the implications that has on us is since the beginning, we're approaching um, four years as a church, um, uh, a lot of our v- volunteer base has been college students. 
students, which is a blessing and a curse, right? We want to applaud and encourage, you know, people talk about young people these days and selfishness and all these things. And, um, but that's been really uh, pushed against in a lot of our college students. I'm looking here kind of front and center. But, um, you know, m- many of you just serving and, and laying down your, you know, rights of sleeping in and whatever else it is um, and serving. And one of the places most impacted as we approach this transition into the summer is the uh, Redemption Kids ministry. And so um, uh, we don't want to come to a point where we need to kind of, you know, uh, say classrooms are full or things like that. But for safety and things like that, um, if we don't have enough people to serve in those ways um, throughout the summer, especially Actually, we will. We will have to do that. And so um, a couple things. Is Jenny Bell in here? I don't know. Jenny might be in here. She's right there. But she'll be out front there by the connect desk or the new to redemption desk and um you can get get to know her talk to her um and and just ask fill out a connect card i I will even declare jenny can hold me accountable to this um may 20th i'm gonna serve back there with the kids okay so on a sunday so this is all hands on deck i'm not like many of you probably can't say well i'm gonna sign up to serve with the kids every you know once a month or whatever it is but especially during the summer while we kind of re-up our volunteer base, um, we can all, all kind of step up and serve in, in different ways. And so you do have to get background checked, okay, parents, don't worry. It's not like come one, come all. But, um, you know, this is a way we can all serve. So anyway, there's a lot more that could be said there, but um, please kind of uh, help bear this burden of the congregation um, with all of us. Amen? All right. Amen means I'm tracking, I agree, I follow. Um, Uh, All right, let's go ahead and pray together as we get into our time in Ephesians chapter 3. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning we can come together. Um, I love love the the All of Life interview that was done. Lord, Mike Christie and Tina Dare just so adequately and eloquently walking us through your story um, from creation to rebellion or the fall, uh, sin, and then, Lord, the good news of Jesus, redemption, and and then the uh, the final uh, uh, good news we look forward to of you restoring all things. Lord, um, we pray that through our time right now in your scriptures, you will you, you will orient us in your story, Lord, that we can, um, Lord, direct our eyes on you and be able to engage the world uh, around us. Lord, engage our own homes, our own hearts, interact with our neighbors according to who you are, what you've done, and what you continue to do. Uh, We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so Mike kind of jokingly mentioned the n- n- newspaper, which, uh, you know, about perhaps you've heard of it, things like that. Um, my first cell, I didn't own my first cell phone until I was already married. Some of you that's unheard of to think about. But um, uh, when my wife and I got married, we um, decided to get the paper. And I wonder if it's going to make a, make a comeback, you know, like, like records have kind of done, right? Like it's kind of in vogue to have vinyl records and things. Maybe newspapers will do the thing, the same thing. Mike, you can kind of hold, hold on to your job if that happens. But um, we did that. Every morning we would kind of, you know, get a cup of coffee, read the paper, you know, smoke a pipe. No, I didn't really do that. But, you know, kind of embrace our kind of grandparents, you know, generation, what they were doing. And it was really helpful. And um, not in a physical newspaper, but this morning I read about North Korea, South Korea, you know, making some peace, you know, that, that, that type of thing. Perhaps you've heard about that. North Korea declared they're going to disarm their n- nuclear program and things like that. And we can celebrate that and, you know, pray for, for these things. And if you've been here with us walking through Ephesians, um, like I'm sure, just like me, you just saw the direct connection from North-South Korea to where we've been walking through in Ephesians, right? I trust we all are just always thinking about Ephesians. Um, no, but, but I, I did. This kind of popped into mind as we talked about the dividing wall of hostility being broken down, right? A couple weeks ago, that's where we were in the end of Ephesians chapter 2. So I was thinking about that, but still for me, North and South Korea seems pretty far away. What, what I thought of, I went back to 2000, okay, the, the year 2000. Um, I was a sophomore in college, and I got to go to the Middle East for a whole summer. 
And, and while I was there, I got to experience some different cross-cultural interactions and um, one experience came to mind that helped me kind of engage this idea as we talk about Jewish people and Gentiles, okay, non-Jewish people coming together and relating with one another and what that would really look like. Um, this guy, so our, our group that went and spent the whole summer there um, in the main, Middle East, one of the guys that went with us was uh, from y- y- Utah, and he was my same age, about, you know, 20 21. He'd never flown on a plane before. And similarly, he'd never seen the ocean before with his own eyes. Like he'd never, you know, he'd watch movies or whatever, but he'd never seen the ocean before. And then here he was going to one of the most, you know, culturally kind of chaotic or tumultuous places. And this guy had never even been away from the farm he grew up on. Not, that's not like a metaphor, like actually grew up on a farm. Well, um, at, toward the end of the summer, we had learned a phrase. We had gone all over to different places, and one of the cultures was a Jewish culture, a, a Hebrew culture, and, um, you know, in the country of Israel, and you would say shalom as you walked around, and that was kind of the, the greeting. If you've been here again, we use this phrase a lot. It's very biblical. It means kind of a comprehensive, all-of-life peace. It's kind of like, you know, peace be with you. Kind of like what we say when someone sneezes, we say, God bless you, what that's supposed to mean, right? Um, this same idea of just like, may, may you be blessed in all of your life, right? Good thing, well intended. Well, he would walk around, walk around. he's from Utah, but he had kind of like a southernish accent, like, and he would say like, you know, like, shalom, kind of like that, you know, it's like shalom just to everyone, and we're walking around, well, um, where we were, you could kind of cross over, like physically walking into different cultural contexts. And Jason, well-meaning but ill-advised, is just throwing out, you know, shalom to everyone. And um, this guy gets really mad because we had m- gone from a more Jewish context to a very much Muslim context. And, and this guy was offended that, um, that, that this phrase that was, was loaded was being just thrown out in the, wrong, in the wrong cultural context. And this guy actually came out with like a stick and hit it on the, on the t- table. And to be fully fair, okay, this happened in different contexts. It wasn't like, oh, the Jewish people were so nice in that context. And then this, it happened kind of both ways, right? If you kind of, were, if you um, even unintentionally crossed a, a culture and used one thing and, and used the wrong expression or wrong demeanor or posture or phrase or whatever in the wrong place, it, it meant something. It was packed. And that was like, for me, uh, and a helpful, uh, helpful picture of this dividing wall of hostility, of, of what it would look like to be in a room, like picture right now, right, to be sitting next to someone, okay, cro- like exchanging money in this case, in many cases, in, um, in looking someone in the eye where there was generations, like thousands of years of hostility, of, 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 of distrust, of brokenness. That that's the kind of idea where we've been in Ephesians if we've marched through. So now as we enter into chapter three, right, as we cross in there, as we in our Western, you know, US, Tucson, Arizona, 2018 kind of context, we would miss this, but that's when we now pick up with me in verse, in chapter three of verse one, when the author Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Okay, he's a, he's a Jewish man. Everyone all before us would have known that. And now when he's saying, okay, cross-culturally, you, those who I was hostile toward, those who were my enemy, okay, he, 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 he says for this reason. So it's like this, everything I've said before this, all the good news of Jesus, Jesus' life, his death on a cross, his victorious resurrection, and his current, present rule and reign over all things and all that that means for every aspect of life, okay? He's saying all of that is true. And in light of that, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on your behalf, and he goes on to talk about these things. But first, let's, before we even get into some of those things, as he talks about the mystery 
of the good news of Jesus and the implications of what this means in everyday life. He uses a word there at the beginning, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And this is helpful for us to understand because in their day, like in our day, if you wanted to talk about your clout, if you wanted to talk about like, hey, listen to me, I've got my stuff together, I know what I'm doing, I've read all the books I should read, I I know what I'm talking about, you wouldn't call yourself a prisoner. Okay, in our day, if you said a prisoner of Christ Jesus, you might be like, all right, that person's kind of spiritual, you know, Christian, all right, cool, whatever. But, but, but we might um, excuse the word prisoner. But, but there, when Christianity, when following Jesus was new, this word prisoner would definitely leap off the page to someone, or in this case, most people weren't actually re- reading it like us. They were hearing it in a community publicly. Most people wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, prisoner, whatever, and just kind of move on. They would think like us, like, oh, prisoner, weak, uh, defeated, obviously did something wrong. It wouldn't be what you would say to kind of set up your argument, if you will. Okay, in fact, in a first century Roman Greek kind of world, what you would, what they would be hearing is they would say, oh, um, so his God that he's been talking about, this Jesus, is obviously weaker than the gods of Rome. If he's in a Roman prison right now, which was the case, he was writing this from a prison, the fact that he would be saying, I'm a prisoner, would be, uh, would, would be setting up his argument, okay, his case for Christianity, if you will. This would be like a blight in that, okay? This would be like a negative, a negative weight in his argument. So, so, so why would he do that? Why would he embrace the fact? Why would he be so open and so clear with the fact that he's right now in a Roman prison, and yet again, if you've been here, and if you haven't, just to kind of bring you up to speed, his main argument throughout Ephesians has been this, has been Jesus rules over everything, everything seen, all right, the, the marketplace, the, the places of temple worship, the home, everything. Jesus rules and reigns over everything and everything unseen. The spiritual realm. Jesus rules and reigns. He's the authority over all of it. So why would he recognize that he's a prisoner? Well, it's because he believes something to be true of the gospel. Okay, that word gospel is simply good news. The good news of Jesus' rule and reign. Again, everything he's done, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, current reign over all things, and promised return. Okay, that's, that's the good news right there. That, 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 that is counterintuitive. That, hear, hear me on this. Okay, Jesus doesn't play by our rules. That he doesn't submit to Roman thinking and say, yeah, I'm in prison, and try to explain it away. In fact, he seemingly kind of embraces it so why wouldn't he do that wouldn't it have just been easier to uh to to embrace a version of christianity of following jesus that was a little more palatable that was similarly or or somehow easier for everyone to tolerate okay again as we go on here you see as he's talking to jewish people and gentile people again think massive hostility. Think sticks come out and tables get like hit if you use the wrong kind of phrase, okay? This level of real everyday life in uh, hostility. Why not just take an easier route? Why not even communicate from an easier way of thinking things? Why not use, why not avoid using words like prisoner when he's explaining it? Why not Um, communicate a version of Christianity that says something like this. You know, God's people, the Jewish people who he came for, they already have culture and ways they do things. They already sing certain songs. They already, you know, cut their hair certain ways. They already have certain traditions. Why not say, hey, become Jewish, adopt all these things, and, and through that you put your trust in Jesus, and that's what it means to be a Christian. That would be much easier than, than, than talking about the real life tension of, 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 of Jews and Gentiles coming together as one people. 
All right, again, if you've been here the last couple weeks, we've really pushed into this, right? We've seen that in their day, he, he does not say that. He says that Christ is forming one people through faith in him, and that one people does not mean this group of people adopt this group of people's cultural expressions of worship and all these things. It means everyone comes and submits to the good news of Jesus. All are in the same boat there, but from there, we, we wrestle, we flesh out what it means to grow and thrive as his people, not, not um, inserting or, 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 or placing over one cultural preference over the other, right? And if you missed it, especially last week, we really hammered. Some of us were uncomfortable and kind of squirmed a bit, and that's okay, right? We can all be, take comfort in knowing we're going to be uncomfortable together, amen? And that's, um, that's, that's fueling where we are today that kind of pregnant reality of, of, of God forming one people in and through the good news of Jesus. And so hear me right now, okay, that um, this expression of Christianity that I'm talking about, this, this difficulty, this dividing wall of hostility being broken down that now leads to a people coming together and having no other option but to call out to God and say, God, this is messy and confusing and we need your spirit to lead us through how we do this thing because it is hard and it is uncomfortable and I don't like it. Okay, all of that is directly connected to how Jesus established his church, his good news. All right, look at the cross for a moment. Okay, we have one right here um, before us. And I'll be totally honest, I'm the lead pastor. I don't know what that table right there means. Um, so, okay, I don't know. That's just, I'm a little bit distracted and maybe a little uh, uh, OCD, so um, someone can inform me after. But I don't know. Maybe there's some really deep spiritual mean, meaning involved. But anyway, there's a small table in front under the cross, but don't be distracted by that. Look at the cross, okay? The big cross right behind it, um, right? The cross in our day is a piece of jewelry. It's a tattoo. It's a symbol for all kinds of different things, right? Well, in the day when Jesus was crucified, it was a shameful, ugly, despicable symbol of defeat, okay? You wouldn't, you wouldn't tout that. You wouldn't like right? Like if you were an MMA fighter, right? Some of you who are into that, right? Not me, of course. It's hot brutality. I don't like that stuff. No. If, um, but you know, you see, right? Guys have their like bulging biceps with like crosses on them or their ripped, you know, muscles in their backs have big old crosses on it. Like you wouldn't have that. It wouldn't be like, I'm about to wreck you because I got a cross on my body. Okay. It would be like, this is shameful and, 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 and humiliating. So why would God in all his wisdom and authority and power choose to establish his church through something like that? It's this, it's this very biblical idea of cruciformity. Okay, this picture that, that through brokenness, through apparent defeat, through humility comes victory and power. That all throughout, and especially, again, most clearly identified through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, you see victory through apparent defeat. Okay, if you could picture with me, and we've talked about this before, if you could picture the l l header J, right? A J. That, that you see in the life of Jesus, he, he left his place of authority, right, up here at the higher part of J, and descended into death. If you picture the J on the very bottom part, right, the kind of the kind of curve at the bottom, that Jesus left his place there. This is the author and um, uh, in, in theologian Paul Miller explains this really well. That, that Jesus descended into a J, right? He left his place of authority. Philippians chapter two, if you've um, really is where this comes from. He, he descended into death and then from there in that point, um, the, the father raises him from the dead victoriously, right? He, he, he defeats death and so that is, okay, hear me on this. Cruciformity is the shape of the Christian life, okay? That, that through death, through identity with Jesus's death, from there comes victory in his resurrection. Okay, and, and, and so it's also been said that if you were here, we, we walked through the gospel according to Mark. It's been said of that as well, that, 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 that the cross um, 
casts a shadow over all of Mark. It's to help Christians understand that the cross is not just something to kind of disassociate with, no, but the actual shame and, and humility therein has implications on our life so that we understand all the more the implications of the victory that comes through Jesus enduring the cross and raising from the dead. Okay, amen? Are you tracking with me? So why in most of our everyday lives do we live um, counter to the gospel? Unlike Paul here, who's embracing on an individual level and a communal level as he's writing to the Ephesians and expecting that the whole church would be shaped by this thing, why would he embrace being a prisoner of Christ Jesus? Why would he embrace the fact that the only hope of the church figuring out how to relate with one another cross-culturally is through this identity of humility in Christ? Why would he do that? There's somewhat of a mystery, right, which he builds in and fleshes out further. Now pick up with me in, uh, in, in verse three. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Okay, so Paul is, is recognizing something here. Again, right, he's talking to a Jewish context, to a non-Jewish, a Gentile context, and he's, and he's talking about this mystery, right? He's kind of building up um, anticipation of this mystery and of what it is, and don't worry, in verse six we'll get to where he very clearly says what the mystery is, but he's, he's acknowledging that this mystery that has been building is something that has, has, has not been fully clear to generations before. When he says generations, he doesn't just mean like, you know, our parents or their parents. He's talking like God's people for thousands of years, building up to this point where he is, where the mystery of God's plan from the very beginning is revealed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he acknowledges it hasn't always been so clear. One, um, one author who I, I've mentioned before who wrote a book, it's not really a commentary, so to speak, but it's more like a book. Her name is Gloria Furman, and she, um, she wrote this um, when, she, when, she, uh, when she's explaining this section of Scripture. I don't have it on the screen, but it's short. You can, you can track with me. She says, Ephesians 3 throws back the curtains on major mystery that has been building over time. And she, she goes on to explain ever since like Genesis chapter three, when God zones in on this man named Abram. All right, some of you may have heard of Abraham, right? Father Abraham. Some of you may have grown up around church, you know, context, right? Father Abraham had many sons, you know, right? You, you, you were kind of marching along with me. And um, anyway, and if you don't know that, don't worry, right? Like it's totally cool. In fact, maybe even you're b better for it. But um. <laughs> Anyway, Abraham, his first name was Abram. And um, this other commentator that I, I read um, in, in kind of preparation throughout this whole series in Ephesians refers to, um, refers to Abram. He says that, and he goes on again to unpack this mystery of God working in these ways. Why would he be so, why would he work the way he does? And he says, even in fact, Abram, right, who's, yeah, Father Abraham, right, the one through whom the entire church, the entire people of God would come, and he's, he's talked about and revered in the Old Testament, the New Testament alike, all this stuff, right? Abraham um, had faith, and it was accredited to him as righteousness, and we, we know these things. We embrace it, but he talks about um, Abram. In the very beginning, God's plan to bring his people about is not through the most likely scenario. Abram is a moon-worshiping pagan, okay, a false god worshiper. His wife, Sarai, is a barren woman. And God calls them and says, in, in Genesis specifically, he says, through you I will establish one name through whom the entire world will be blessed. 
Again, looking forward to the New Testament, we see that clearly um, proclaimed and fulfilled in Jesus, right? That at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Okay, that, 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 there, that every name will be blessed. So again, informing where we are right now in this place, at the dividing wall of hostility across culturally, across language, all this, but God does it in a counterintuitive way. And there was mystery involved there. Okay, the, again, this is important because we just hear this stuff, oh yeah, Abraham, of course, oh yeah, he was, his, you know, Israelite, Jewish people. But no, in the very beginning, even in the Old Testament, God did it counterintuitively. And he's showing his power through weakness. God is revealing his strength, his authority, his sovereignty, his, his, his insight, his character through his people. Not because we've got it all figured out and we've, we've just got it nailed because we're so smart and so good looking and so wise and all this stuff. No, but often as we see his power is made known through our weakness. And that's not a new thing. That's all the way back in the Old Testament. And it's counterintuitive. And again, it's a foreshadowing in many ways of what he would bring to sight, to clarity, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This mystery made known. Okay, pick up with me now in, uh, in verse 6. This mystery, okay, it's like, what is it? What is it, right? There's been this kind of anticipation in right now, right? Yes, I'm kind of delaying. We can even feel this, like, just get to it already, right? Like, it's right there. Well, imagine throughout generations. Imagine for thousands of years this mystery of what God is doing. It's being made clear, but there's still uncertainty in it. And, 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 and there's, this, there's this pregnant pause, if you will, right? Right? See, that was a little example for you. That's a pregnant pause, if you didn't know what it was. Right? There's this anticipation. What, what is it? What's, what, come on, come on, just tell me already. That's been building throughout generation, generation. Finally, Ephesians chapter 3, circle it in your Bible, underline it. Um, here it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, hear me on this. Okay, we cannot miss this fact that this mystery that all throughout the ages God's people have been longing to be made clear is that God would fulfill his promise of reconciliation. All right, now when most of us, especially those of us who are in the church who have, are more maybe theologically minded or even who associate with the reformed tradition, which we as a church do, right, you would, we, we would think, oh yeah, of course, reconciliation, um, justification, Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8, right? That's it. That's, that's the work of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, not by our own works so that no one can boast, but it is the work of God, right? So clearly that's reconciliation, yes. Yes, yes, and yes, okay, hear me, amen. Absolutely, that is not question, that is not challenge, it is not less than that, but it is more. Okay, the mystery that we often turn away from is this reconciling work of Jesus, um, making a way for us to be restored with our creator as sons and daughters adopted through faith in Jesus, our identity of having been dead to sin and now through Jesus' death on the, sacrificial death on the cross and victorious resurrection from the dead, we are now raised again to new life through faith in him, reconciled to God our Father as children, sons and daughters, or even as we looked at before, given all the rights and privileges as firstborn sons, right? Which would mean a lot in that day, a lot more than it does in our day. That meant all the rights, all the benefits, all the privileges of a firstborn son. That's why it said earlier in Ephesians where we walked through that. That's what we have now through faith in Jesus. We get that a lot. But again, not just as a side, you know, side deal, side gig, like extracurricular, but directly connected with that is the horizontal reality of what Jesus has done, reconciling 
all things. And this mystery of how in the world could someone who is offended, like violently offended by the phrase shalom, like busting out a stick and breaking a table and wanting to fight somebody because you used the wrong phrase, now, now coming together and worshiping the one true God, Jesus. Now being called one people. Not just tolerating one another, but, but actually needing one another. R- recognizing my own background and upbringing has left me some blind spots. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of great things that my culture, that my background, that my experience has revealed about God and I have grown, in, especially in my Christian context, but, but growing to see there's a lot that I need to learn, that I don't know, that I'm less comfortable with. Okay, that God's call his promise, his commitment to building a multicultural people, a church, is absolutely essential to who we are and what we do when we come together, when we worship him, when we consider the, the full victory of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So this mystery is that God is forming one people, reconciling one people to our creator God and to each other. And now um, I'm going to just, I'm going to kind of take a, a, a somewhat of a sharp right turn, if you will, because um, full disclosure, this next part of the sermon I didn't fully prepare for. Um, and that's not just to kind of, you know, say like, oh, sorry, you know, oh, well, move on. Um, I, I did kind of prepare, but I, um, a good friend of mine was going to help me with this. In fact, I was really excited. Um, some of you guys know Tom Wisely. Uh, older man, I kind of jokingly referred to him this morning as like the patron saint of Redemption Tucson. I think he's maybe our oldest member, I'm pretty sure, but um, not by outward outward appearance, if you will. His strength and vigor and youthfulness is definitely not the oldest person here by any means. He he is um, full of life. But um, Tom was going to help me with this. He's a PhD. He studied um, cultural anthropology ecology and before when he found out we were going to preach through Ephesians like many a long time ago many months ago he said he came up to me and was like I have poured over this section of scripture it has shaped my life I've studied it in the Greek I've spent time over this and so we he helped me prepare for this and he came and we sat in, in my office and we not my we have an office multiple of us it's not like I'm sitting in ivory tower and have my own office but anyway we have a little office space that some of us share and Tom came and helped me with this and um and he was going to actually come up here and share. He was going to open the word and and have this whole interactive time where he was going to help us walk through this. Well last night I got a a call from Tom on his way to the ER. Um, yeah, and so let me just say on the front end, like right now he's he's doing okay. I don't want to give us too much comfort in what that means because he is still at the hospital. But um, he's it's it's his some heart, some kind of chest pain, and he did want me to. I just actually talked to him again this morning. He said, "Please let people know it's probably not a heart attack. It's almost certainly not a heart attack, but something's going on." And I'm gonna go see him this afternoon, and, and perhaps a couple other people are and are gonna um, pray with with Tom and, and for, for Tom. Um, he had a bunch of stuff prepared right now. And, and, and I'm just in like a minute, uh, just so we don't miss out on all that Tom prepared. He did share some of it with me. Um, the, the big idea that he, that he shared was this, was that what we see in this whole breakdown is this. And I'm just going to kind of read through it. He again mentioned that that word prisoner is multifaceted. It means what I shared earlier, right? It was a shameful thing. He said also this, it is one who is bound. It had a multifaceted meaning. In verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, that prisoner was one who is bound, not because he or she broke a law, but because they have a single focus, right? So he's, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus because he's been, been called with a laser focus to carry out a mission. Um, I don't, did you guys actually, I, I told, kind of my bad, right? Peter, did you guys delete those, those definitions? It's totally my fault. I told him, hey, Tom's not here. Let's delete those definitions. And now I kind of, Hold a little juke move on him. And um, I've been watching the NFL draft, so had to um, feel connected there by using a, a football phrase. Um, 
Anyway, so um, these are the definitions, though. The next one was Gentiles. Again, in our context, we miss that. Oh, Gentile, like, right? It wouldn't be a shameful term that we would call someone, right? It's not like you're in a, in a, in a b- battle with someone and you call them a Gentile, and it's like, that's it, we're going, to, we're going to blows, right? It's like, all right, whatever, Gentile. Well, in their day, he says it was non-Jews. It was a different worldview. Now, with that, he said, think music, language, food, philosophy, customs, history, the marginalized, looked down upon. That's what came to mind when you heard this word Gentiles. Then he also talks about again here, mystery. This mystery is that outsiders were included. That there was a banquet table, there was a family meal. And these people didn't just get the scraps, but they got to participate in the first cut of the meat or the Tofu, for those of us who don't like meat in here. Or those of you, rather, I should say, who don't like meat. All right? I love you, but I'm not with you on that. But anyway, right, they, um, in that, in, they, they got the first cut, the first share. And then this word gift, and this is what he was really going to flesh into. Gift, the charitos in Greek of God's grace, verse 7. The ability to communicate to that other world with comprehension, with connection. And so um, what Tom was going to really help us understand here is that what God is, is revealing here is a, is a cross-cultural, is a call for his people to cross cultures. And so for us as a church here, um, I'm going to pause in a moment as we end, and we're just going to spend some time even praying for Tom. I want to kind of push into that um, a bit for us. But again, I don't want to miss the importance of, of what he was going to share and what he perhaps will still share when he comes back and we get keep on in this whole next section. It's really verses 1 through um, about 13 or f- 14 here in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3. This whole section, though, is really helping to understand God's heart for crossing cultures, for breaking down dividing walls of hostility. Okay, and so something that he said that I I need to help here is what we understand here. He said that about 10% of all congregations, right, all churches, are uniquely gifted, wired, and called to cross cultures. Okay, so you could look around and be like, well, that's not that many people here. How many is that? Okay, let me be clear here. That is, does not mean everyone else is off the hook. Okay, that doesn't mean, well, I'm not really called to that. I'm not gifted in crossing culture, so I don't need to. No, right? Just quickly kind of push back on that. There are a lot of spiritual gifts that we're all called to that we might not have, right? Gift of mercy, gift of hospitality, right? Some people have that clearly. Open their homes, you have someone over for dinner, someone spends the night at your house, you've got little mints on the pillow, little notes, it's all encouraging. That's the gift of hospitality, right? Some of you, I could name some names, I've experienced your hospitality. That doesn't mean that everyone else like, I don't have that gift, like you open up the door, no, get out of here, right? Slam your door, I'm not having you over for dinner. Neighbor, you know, neighbor comes over asking for sugar and you like throw sand at him, whatever, like, right? Like, see, that sounds foolish, right? Of course we'd, right? But some people have this gift, right? Similarly, gift of mercy, gift of helps, some of these other things, right? Gift of evangelism, right? It doesn't mean that if you don't have that gift, you're never called to share your faith or to, you know, pray for people who haven't trusted in Jesus. But it does mean that some are uniquely wired and gifted. So what I want to say here, my commitment to us as a congregation and, and my charge to you is you might have that gift of crossing cultural boundaries, of moving toward the other, as it's referred to, as Tom kind of broke it down there for us. If that's you, that gift might be laying dormant, right? We talk a lot here as a church about we are gospel-centered and outward-focused and how as we understand the good news of Jesus, that compels us outward, right? And we've broken down outward-focused ministries as a church, right, in terms of close, near, and far. And we could talk all about what that means and stuff here, right? And we have different ministry expressions. Well, our primary far expression is Guatemala in terms of like where we go, right? We go, we send money, we send people, we have a partnership there. But as Tom really in, in very forceful and intentional ways also has helped us understand that far is not just like one thing that we hang our hat on. Oh yeah, we go to Guatemala or we support a couple people to go elsewhere. But it's a, we need to grow in this area of crossing um, far boundaries. And some of those are right here in our backyard. 
in terms of there's an apartment complex that this sounds horrible. I could throw a rock at. I'm not going to do because when you get it. But anyway, it's right by my house that is like 100% international refugees. Some of the most vulnerable and marginalized people in our community. And, and, for, and, and so what does it look like to cross boundaries, to go and to meet and to interact with and to relate with these people? Again, there's massive opportunity for us in this area. Okay, and now one more thing I want to share with us as well. Okay, hear me, because we have been hammering on this reality that we as a church are pressing into the, the multicultural commitment of God in, in his church. Not every church is necessarily called to be multicultural. All right, some of you might have been asking these questions over the last few weeks if we've been really pressing into this. Absolutely, 100%, I will adamantly say every church must be open to God's work. There must understand the, 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 the dividing walls of hostility broken down. If there are areas in any church across the world, across our city, um, anywhere across our country that has any posture of racism, of hostility, of, of hubris, of pride, of arrogance, that's got to be repented of. That's got to be, got to be, um, uh, uh, fought against and pushed against, okay? Everyone, amen. But not every church is called to really press into the multicultural implications of the gospel, I don't think. I've, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really digging into that still, but I'm, I'm you know, some churches just aren't in context and communities, whatever, where that's even possible, right? I don't know, church in like Podunk, Montana, that's like, how are we multicultural? I don't know how to even do that. Okay, I don't know. I don't have answers to that. All that to say, we don't need to worry about that because we're us, right? We're where we are. We are called to that as a church, as Redemption Tucson. And I say that 100% aware that that might make some people discern this isn't the church for me. And hear me, I'm okay with that. We're okay with that. We don't say that arrogantly. I'm not like, don't let the door hit you or we don't care, whatever, right? That's not at all what we're saying. We'd love to talk with you about what we're called to do and who we're called to be. But I also wanna be fully open to who we're called to be and where we're going, where the Lord is leading us, where we're uniquely set in a school that um, every week these chairs are filled with 80 plus percent non-white people and 80 plus percent um, lower income people who are on free or reduced lunches and, and where we are right in kind of a dividing line between kind of gentrifying downtown Tucson and South Tucson. That, that leads us to say, well, God, we are called to be this kind of people. So as we close, um, I'm going to pray. Um, I am going to pray for Tom, Tom Wisely. Okay, we didn't forget about Tom. Um, I also know, though, that in Tom's heart, he would rather us kind of take the time that we were going to take to stop and pray for him to really press into this as a, as a church. To what does it mean for you as an individual and God's heart for the nations and God's heart for crossing cultures? And what does it mean for us as a church? Okay, as we pray and respond now together, as, and uh, I think David Wagner is gonna lead us through this time of response. Let's go together before the Lord, individually and as a community, with a sense of hope on one hand, right? Excitement anticipation for what God is doing in forming a, 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 a united people, a counterintuitive people who would otherwise have a massive dividing wall of hostility that are now worshiping together because of the good news of Jesus. Let us come with hope and excitement and also, hear me, with desperation. In the same way that the people who are hearing Paul's loaded words of saying, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, making known the mystery that was revealed to me as I have written briefly, how you can perceive of my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed now, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And again, he fleshes out this mystery as he talks about this gift entrusted to him. There is hope 
and there is desperation, saying, God, if not for you and your intervention, your intervention, we're hopeless. So let us now pray and respond together with excitement, anticipation, and incredible humility, trusting that Christ will do in us and through us what only he can do so that we can be like a city on a hill, so that his good news can be um, on display through us, through our words, and through our relationship for his glory and the good of Tucson. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your authority, your sovereignty, your power. Um, Lord, I don't, I'm, I'm saddened and confused why Tom wasn't here this morning to be able to help with this, and I know he is too, that this has never happened in his entire life, and he's stronger and healthier than most of us in this room, and yet for some reason he's in a hospital bed right now, no doubt witnessing and praying for the people he's interacting with and probably making laugh and probably making him a little uncomfortable with his incredible sense of humor and sometimes at his own expense and all these things. And when people say it's good to see you, he says it's good, good to be seen. And I don't even fully know what that means, but I know it makes me love him more and feel um, all the little bit more disarmed and more loved and more comfortable. So Lord, right now, for, I want to pray for him. Lord, we pray for him as his community. No matter how big we grow in number, we are never too big or new or too polished or too professional or too quote-unquote excellent to not pray for one another in suffering and pain when we're sick. Um, Lord, we come alongside our brother in Christ, our, our um, oldest brother other than Jesus, um, in Christ who we love, we accept, we, uh, we, we, we are thankful for. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing, you would bring wisdom, Lord, to the doctors. Um, Lord, we pray that he would be back with us, worshiping alongside us next, next Sunday. And uh, Lord, we thank you for Tom and for his help, even in helping prepare this sermon. Um, Lord, now as we, as we close, as we, as we come before your table, I pray that through your spirit, God, your Holy Spirit, that we would be moved right now, Lord, that we would be, in some cases, um, uncomfortable by what you're doing, by what you've been pressing into us through your word, Lord, that, that, that we have, Lord, that we would repent of the individual um, version of the gospel we have settled for, where it's just good enough to say me and God and no more, and that's all I need, and, 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 and Lord, that we would look to our left and to our right, that as we sing, as we clap, as we relate, communally we would we would respond and, and and be sent out as your people your cross-cultural unified people in and through the person and work of Jesus in his name we pray amen